0: One of the most fascinating things that's happening in our world today is the growth of the church in Asia, Africa, and Latin America, Uh, especially what we call the emergence, uh, the proliferation, the flourishing of global Christianity. Uh, You know, 1793, when William Carey set sail for India, uh, 98% of the world's Christians lived in uh, the Western world. Fast forward to the 1900s after a great century of missions, we're still looking at about uh, 90% of the world's Protestants were still living in the Western world. But now in the last few years, in the 21st century, we're seeing the unfolding of uh, the growth, of the tremendous growth in Asia, Africa, Latin America, where uh, the majority of the world's Christians now live in the non-Western world, what we call the majority world. But oftentimes we focus on these regions in these large groups, Asia, Africa, Latin America are so large, and uh, we often subgroups, subregions within these larger regions often get obscured. For example, the Middle East. Uh, The Middle East uh, takes... The center stage of our conversation oftentimes when we speak about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict or we speak of North Africa, we look at uh, Egypt or the crisis, you know, the various forms of crisis that's happening in North Africa. But the one piece that's often obscured is what we call the Arabian Gulf region. The cradle of Islam, the birthplace of Islam in Mecca, Medina, and Saudi Arabia, that Arabian Peninsula uh, is often obscured in our narrative, and for the next few moments I want to spend some time just laying some backro- backdrop, background on the Christianity that we see there. Uh, the Arabian Gulf uh, is, comprises of about six countries that's called the Gulf Cooperation Council. These are Saudi Arabia, Oman, Qatar, Bahrain, uh, the United Arab Emirates, and Kuwait. And these six countries, with the exclusion of Yemen because they're not oil-producing countries, these six countries form the GCC. What's really interesting about this region, though, is that these were all mainly desert regions, uh, sparsely populated, uh, settled by people who were pearl divers and uh, some merchants who would travel uh, the sea, the Indian Ocean, and travel to. Uh, for the spice trade, but these regions were not thriving metropolises like we know them today. Most of these regions discovered oil only starting in the 40s and some well into the 70s did they discover oil, but with the discovery of oil, these countries needed With a very low population, they needed to depend on labor population from the other labor-rich intensive regions of South Asia, especially India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and some other Arab countries like Egypt uh, and Syria and Jordan. But now what we're seeing is as migrants come into these regions, they bring their faith with them and uh, they come, they don't just leave their um, faith at home, like we speak about excess luggage. You know, excess luggage, oftentimes migrants will come with their bags, you know, brimming with luggage, and then uh, they are allowed, say, 50 pounds a bag, and so they have to take things out of the airport and throw it away, or give it to their loved ones to take it back home, because they it, it just can't bring it to their next destination. But in the same way, they just don't do this with faith. Faith doesn't get discarded as migrants move. Faith becomes part of the journey. They bring their faith with them, even to the Muslim world, even to the heartlands of Islam. And there were, you know, my parents both worked in Kuwait and Saudi, I was born and raised in Kuwait. My mother tells me stories of how Bibles would be confiscated at the airports, taken and thrown into a pile in Saudi, and, you know, very difficult circumstances. Yet, faith could not be discarded. So when migrants move, They travel along with their compatriots, their fellow brothers and sisters from home, and they get together and form fellowships of prayer. Soon a Bible study is formed, soon a prayer group is formed, soon a small church is planted even in the heartlands of Islam. So in Kuwait today, uh, we have what we call, uh, among Protestants at least, we have a compound, a mission compound, which is now called the National Evangelical Church in Kuwait where all of these Protestant groups meet and that provides us the legitimate place of worship in Kuwait so the compound where the where the Protestant church meets uh, this place provides the uh, venue for the legitimate Christian expression in Kuwait right but this compound has a history about a hundred years ago uh, in the late 1800s there were a group of uh, college seminary students at New Brunswick Theological Seminary sitting in an Old Testament class where the professor spoke about Uh, bringing the gospel message to the children of Ishmael, and speaking about the need to reach Arabs. A few guys of that group, Samuel Zwemer among them, heard this vision, began to pray, and even while he was a seminary student, began to uh, intern at a clinic in Queens to pick up some medical skills. Once they graduated, he and three others, formed what we now know as the Arabian Medical Mission and they were sent out, they went to the Middle East in various places initially, but then set up medical camps, Bible shops, and publication houses in Basra in Iraq in Bahrain, in various places in the UAE, and then they finally came to Kuwait in the early 1900s. By the invitation of the Sheikh, Sheikh Mubarak the Great, invited uh, uh, the doctors, Samuel Zwemer and the others, to come and set up a clinic in Kuwait. In those early eras, they provide uh, the medical mission purchased land from the Sheikh. So we have this plot of land which, where they built a hospital, which is now where the church worships. Of many years later, from the, the medical mission served in Kuwait for a long time before the discovery of oil. That is why even today, when Kuwaiti speak about the Arabian medical mission, they speak with such respect because they came before the discovery of oil. Everybody else who've come to Kuwait have come after the discovery of oil to make money. But the Kuwaitis know the medical missionaries came in a very dire time to serve. Many of them lost their loved ones on the journey. Many of their loved ones are buried in the Arabian Gulf. But the Kuwaitis know that they came before the discovery of oil out of love to serve the people. But fast forward now to the 1950s. After the discovery of oil, Kuwait started to build its own hospitals, and there were no longer a need for hospitals. And so, slowly, the Arabian Medical Mission was shut down, and that is when the influx of migrant workers started to come in, and they needed a place to worship. And guess where they went? They went to the Arabian Medical Mission compound and they began to worship. The Indian brothers and sisters got together. They formed what's called the Pentecostal Church of Kuwait. There was the Marthoma Church. There are all these various churches that started worshiping on the compound. Soon Sri Lankan brothers and sisters came. Konkani brothers and sisters, Tamil brothers and sisters, and all of these worshiping communities, the Arab language congregation, English language congregation, you have international churches. And today there are more than 88 congregations that worship on this small plot of land. Here's my point. The Arabian Medical Mission from 100 years ago provided legitimacy to Christian worship in the region. But as migrants come, they bring their faith, and now we have 88 congregations that worship there. And now, when you include the Protestants, the Catholics, and you look at the Coptic Christians, especially from Egypt, the Christianity is booming and thriving in the Gulf. Today, there are more than 17% of the country of Kuwait are Christian, which is unfathomable in an Arab Islamic Muslim country. How do we have these many Christians? It's because of migration. So that's the second thing, migration is altering the religious demography of many of these regions. The magic number that we often talk about when we speak of unreached people groups is 2%. If 2% of the population of the region is not, uh, it, it doesn't have Christian witness, we say that is an unreached people group and we prioritize mission and evangelism there. But in places like Kuwait, in Dubai, we're speaking about 17% of the country are Christian. Granted, these are migrant workers, we're not speaking of about the natives, but in terms of the population, migrant workers represent about 70% of the country's population in Kuwait, 88% in the city of Dubai, 86% in the country of Qatar. Migrant workers are a major portion of the population of this region. So often we will look at these churches and then we will say, In what ways are these migrant churches reaching out in mission to the natives? Or in what ways are the migrant churches reaching out in mission to this region? And often as we look at it, it's hard to find ways, sometimes, uh, the way that they're serving in this region. There are multiple reasons for this, foremost among which is the severe restriction to religious freedom. Now, Christians thank God are have the ability to worship with freedom. So they can gather and worship in Kuwait. The constitution allows for that. But the constitution forbids uh, sharing the gospel on the streets or in any form of converting local Muslim believers. Therefore, Christians are severely hindered in their missionizing efforts. So then what do we conclude? Do we conclude that as long as they're not serving a missional purpose in Kuwait, they are missional failures? I I would hesitate to go that route. For multiple reasons, we really have to ask, what are the myriad of ways in which these churches are actually engaged in mission? Instead of setting a prior criteria of reaching this particular group, we must ask what are all of the ways in which the church is actually serving? And we will find that there are amazing things that the church is doing. For one, the labor camp ministry. The labor workers in Kuwait are some of the most uh, vulnerable people in society. They work, Seven days a week, 12 to 14 hour shifts, and get paid very like very meager va- wages. Or the domestic workers in Kuwait. 600,000 people in Kuwait are what we call domestic workers. These are some of the most vulnerable groups. The church is very active in the embassies, serving these vulnerable groups. But there is another dynamic that I think we should consider. When I go to the church in Kuwait, say a Malayali Pentecostal church from South India, and I challenge them about getting involved in missions. Missions for the Malayali Pentecostal Church in Kuwait is not just mission to local population in the Arabian Gulf region. Mission immediately for them is ministry back in India. Because we have to see Kuwait and the Indian diaspora in Kuwait as an extension of India, especially in the way that they self-understand and perceive their connection back to India. So as a result, ministry for them, because of the restriction in Kuwait, they are significantly engaged in ministry Back home in India, but the more creative missional churches don't just focus on ministry in Kerala, which is uh, which has the largest number of Christians, and in Indian, in India come from Kerala. So ministry for them is not just in Kerala, but in North India. So cross-cultural missional witness. Four Malayalis in Kuwait means getting engaged in ministry in North India. And I could tell you story after story after story of how churches in Kuwait are connected and serving in very focused missional efforts partnering with churches, partnering with ministries, uh, coming alongside and committing to a long-term relationship with these church planting networks throughout North India, serving with charity, providing for the poor, taking care of the sick, doing medical mission trips, shorter mission trips, and they're serving in vibrant and vital ways. And that's the third piece. Mission, my friends, is not just about uh, mission in the local context oftentimes. Mission, what we're seeing in Kuwait, It's what we call transnational mission, transcending national boundaries, but ministry through extending social networks. This is the new dynamic of ministry in a global, urban and migratory world. It is more than a commitment to geographic proximity for mission, but mission now is through social networks, transnational networks, and through these networks, you begin to expand and you see the fulfillment of the vision that God, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And God is doing this through migrant workers, even in the heartland of the Middle East. God bless you.